Welcome to the Ethics Experts, where we're elevating ethics and compliance and HR to the strategic level it's supposed to be. Hello, welcome to the Ethics Experts. If it's your first time joining us, welcome. And if you are a returning subscriber, hello, friend. Hope you're having an amazing day. See what happens when you subscribe to the Ethics Experts. Every single episode, you get a bonus greeting. So hit that subscribe button. I am here with two of my favorite people that I've met over my life, uh, the Staker Brothers. How you guys doing? Great. Great. Man. Yeah, great to be with you. Yeah, so um, I am super excited to pick uh, you guys' brain. This is kind of part of our executive series where um, we have conversations with people who have built and are running businesses that we look up to, uh, that we look up to the way that you comport yourself and you know the thing that you've built. And uh, I'm just really excited to kind of dive in, pick your brain, hear how uh, your story started. This is going to be a great episode. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. So let's just kind of dive in. Um, you know, my brother and I run Compliance Line together. Um, you guys kind of served as an archetype for me on how that can work. You know, there was a lot of uh, pushback, not a lot, some, some, some people push back on the idea of backing two, two guys who were brothers to run a company together. Um, how have, you know, where did your dream to run, um, run your business kind of come from and how did you guys get to the seats that you're in now? Great question. I'm happy to start and Dan fill in the, uh, fill in yeah, the holes sure. uh, along the way. You know, uh, you never, you never know what path life is going to lead you down, Nick. And Dan and I have both been, been very, very blessed and fortunate. Um, you know, we were, we were pushed to, uh, to be very educated. So we, we both got, uh, you know, Dan got an engineering degree. I got a business and law degree and we were pursuing, uh, those respective pr professions. Um, but had always been very entrepreneurial, Dan much more so than me. And our, our dream was to own and operate a business together and, and, and be able not just to apply our, our education and expertise, but, uh, but leadership and build an organization and a culture that, that um, in, in many ways could contribute to our communities and society. And so very fortunate to have the opportunity, uh, very young in our careers, to buy this business back in 2002 with a group of local investors, and from there it's been uh, been a heck of a journey. So, why don't you uh, bring our listeners up to speed on what your business is, um, what attracted you to it, and kind of how that's transformed over the years? Well, and I'll just say a few words, and Dan jump in. I Dan and I like to say, look, uh, we didn't choose this business; it chose us, and that's truly. <laughs> Truly That's what true. happened, um, yeah. we, were, we were opportunistically uh, open to, to finding a business and through a series of relationships, truly, this was a family-owned business for about 30 years, had fallen on hard times, and we, we had an opportunity to buy it uh, from, from a bank through a private foreclosure, and my background in, in, uh, in law was helpful. Dan is, uh, is an engineer, but a consummate salesperson, one of the best in the world, and you know, I should say first and foremost to your earlier question, we're brothers first and best friends second and business partners third. And uh, we have found that if we keep those priorities uh, aligned like that, uh, it's been a good recipe for success. Dan, what would you add? Well, and, and Nick, you know this, but for the listeners, you know, we, we run a large flexible packaging company and, and we've now been at it to David's point about 20 years. But to be very clear on day one, we knew nothing about flexible packaging at all, nothing about printing, but we thought we knew a little something about how to run a business. And, 
you know, your question earlier about being brothers, you know, as you align a leadership team, first and foremost, you have to have trust right. and respect and, and alignment of core values. And obviously, David and I are brothers, but we had had other small investments together. We went to the same, you know, obviously high school, but same college. Uh, our first investment together is we bought a house together and decided to, to refurbish a house. So we knew we could trust each other and, and certainly lead this company. But you know, getting involved in this business, it was it was a leap of faith in many respects. I was the youngest partner of a management consulting firm. David was doing extraordinarily well. And I will tell you, everybody looked at us like we were nuts. Like, what are you talking about? You're going to go run this business that you know nothing about. But, you know, honestly, at the time, and, and we've said this often, ignorance was bliss. Right. Um, and, and we really viewed it as a great opportunity. We said, you know, the worst case scenario is we could go back to doing what we were doing. But we took all of our net worth, which, you know, frankly, wasn't much. We came from very modest means, but took all of our net worth, piled it into this business, jumped in and, you know, very quickly found there was a lot of really good people here, um, you know, some decent infrastructure and, and so forth. But they needed leadership, discipline and financial resources. And, you know, David and I uh, are very much the same, but we're so different, mm -hmm. too. And I think that really helped us on day one and in kind of reshaping and remolding this this company. And and obviously we've got a lot of war stories we can share and a lot of lessons learned. Uh, but I was so thrilled, Nick, for you and your brother when I heard you guys were going into business together um, because you had kind of seen what we were doing. And, and you know, David and I over the years, um, I don't know that we've had a single real argument about anything because at the core, we're aligned in terms of ethically how we're going to approach our business. We're aligned in terms of our, our values and what we want to do and putting people first. And, and that's really, really helped us. And so when I heard you and your brother were going into business, I was, I was silently kind of cheering and saying, Hey, these guys are going to do a phenomenal job. So we're, we're pleased and excited for you and your brother. So congrats on your success thus far as well. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Um, I mean, you know, you, you kind of mentioned, uh, that leap of faith and that's actually, that, I mean, that, that, that's exactly what it's like, you know, I mean, we stepped into a business that we didn't really know a lot about. We think, I mean, so much of what you said were some of the underpinnings of why we were confident that we could go in and do it, but I'd love to kind of circle back to, you know, how did you find this company and when this opportunity came up, where was that in terms of the ongoing or previous conversations you guys had about potentially kind of elevating from refurbing, refurbing houses to actually running a business together. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you know, like, like, like most things in life, I think, um, you know, I, I don't know what the, the phrase is, but you know, when opportunity kind of meets preparation, that's, that's, that's the key. And uh, Dan, Dan and I were, were both very hard workers and, and diligent and, and think good about building relationships and trying to surround ourselves with really good people from whom we believed we could learn something. And so at a relatively young age, we were fortunate to have some, some mentors, uh, and a number of folks, uh, most notably Charlie and Henry Newell, uh, who kind of took were two brothers, by the way. Right. Yeah, they're, they're two brothers and, and wonderful, wonderful people of the highest character and integrity. And and uh, so we were able to learn from them and, and, uh, and see the, the, the model that they uh, use, not just to approach business, but to approach leadership and people. And so that was, that was a great stepping stone for us. And through those relationships, 
uh, and frankly, a bank banking relationship, we were made aware of this opportunity and we jumped in, as Dan mentioned, uh, with all of our hearts and minds and, and put a deal together. How did that conversation with your wives go if you were married at the time? You said, hey, I'm about to leave the law firm or hey, I'm about to leave my part, you know, yeah. and finally made, made partner and we're gonna get into yeah. this business that just failed. Yeah, it was dicey. I mean, it was it was it was a it was a challenging time, and and had young I had a young son at at the time too, and and so it was dicey. But you know, again, the the, the risk you know at a, at a young age is kind of like, well, what's what's the worst thing that could happen? Mm -hmm. Okay, the worst thing that could happen is you know you go back to doing what you were doing, as I said. But but this company, you know, it was pretty unique because um, you know the company had been struggling. And so we got a chance to kind of look under the hood to, so to speak, and, and, and begin evaluating the business. And, and I think the, the associates were motivated to get behind us. Now, not only did our wives look at us like we were crazy, I think the associates looked at us like we were crazy too. I was 29. I think David was 31. And, and they looked at us like, who are these two young guys? And, and they know nothing about our business. How are they going to lead us? Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think they saw our attitude. Uh, I think they saw our approach with people and and listening and and trying to drive for results. But um, I, you know, I, I think both of us. I'd love to to hear the behind the scenes with David and his discussion. But I know my discussion was more of like, yeah, I'm gonna kind of, you know, I think I may do this, but I was very careful about going all in until until it was uh, official. So it yeah. it was uh, it world's was, greatest it was salesman even uses the yeah, sales exactly. techniques at home. I love it. Exactly. Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, Christy was very supportive, um, and and you know, she and I and and Dan and his his wife, you know, you don't you don't invest in businesses and you don't believe in businesses. You invest in people and you believe in people. And I think Dan and I benefited from having a belief in ourselves that was instilled in us by our parents, and we knew that regardless of what happened, we'd land on our feet and. You know, you, you got to take risks in life. I mean, that's probably the, the greatest learning is that nothing ventured, nothing gained. And right. so, um, yeah, there was there was there was there were certainly uh, opportunities uh, along the way that um, that we seized and that could have turned out differently. But, you know, our, our two phrases for first couple of years, first of all, we're going to burn the bridges behind us. So there's no going back. Right. Uh, se secondly, you know, failure is not an option. Uh, and even though we, you know, in the back of our minds, we had plan B, I'm, I'm sure, but you know, we didn't focus on that. It was all about making sure right. it worked. So, yeah. and I, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just going to say, and I think all, all of that, frankly, was, was about the attitude. I, I think, I mean, again, keep in mind, this was a bankrupt company, Nick. I think you remember that, the details of that story. But, uh, I mean, the first month we owned the business, not only had we taken a leap of faith, but you know, gosh, we'd lost several hundred thousand dollars the very first month we owned the company. And and the second month we lost a little less and the third month we lost a little less than that. But it took us right at six months to really begin generating, uh, you know, profits. And I think it was only a few dollars that month in October. And we spent it at the local bar on a pitcher of beer <laughs> just to celebrate. Well, you went nuts, huh? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but but it was I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was I mean, again, you know, there's a lot of phrases for it, but you work hard and and when you work hard, you get a little luckier. But for us, it was it was really so much about how we could engage the associates, because, frankly, we didn't have the answers. I mean, David and I didn't have the answer. We were learning the business, but 
the folks on our production floor and, and in the office, they have all the answers. If you're willing to ask the questions and you're willing to listen, they've got all the answers. They know what to do. And right. so our philosophy was really just to to have the right attitude, to engage them in the right way and, and support them in, in growing the business. And, um, you know, certainly had had a lot of success and, and we're proud of the, the business and the type of business that we've continued to build. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that first kind of six months or even that first week, um, you know, the first impression lasts forever, you know, um, the posture that you came into the business uh, or, you know, the posture that you came into the business with probably had a huge impact on the trajectory you ended up following. Talk to us about how you kind of like message that to folks beyond your words. Was it just the engagement that you had? Was it just the, the humility you, you brought to it? And what kind of, what kind of, you know, I doubt every single person was like thrilled that, you know, bought in right away. So how did you kind of navigate some of those choppier waters? Yeah, I, I, that's a great question, Nick. And it, you know, there's, there's, there's a multitude of, of ways you, you, you got to go about it. First of all, I mean, leadership has got to be sincere and authentic. Uh, and people need to know and understand how much you truly care about them uh, first. And, and Dan and I did care very much uh, for the people and the business. And I think they saw in us a fierce determination to, uh, to right the ship and, and provide uh, for the business and the families that it supports. And so, um, you know, once they understood that we were going to support them and believe in them and give them the, the ability to, to make decisions and uh, move the organization forward, I mean, that, that, that was the key. We spent a lot of time with people, you know, yeah. it's, mm -hmm. you got to invest in people first and relationships and build those relationships. And, you know, that, that today is probably the strongest element of our culture and organization. And, you know, we often say the culture of any organization is nothing more than a reflection of the behavior of its leaders. And so mm. demonstrating, um, you know, demonstrating and walking the talk, not just, not just saying it is, is critically important. And so establishing, uh, those core values and, and, uh, you know, not just communicating, but living them uh, makes, makes all the difference. And it takes yeah. time. You're not yeah, gonna... it does. It does. And, and, and we really hammered on right away the clarity of our mission mm -hmm. uh, and our vision and our values uh, and creating that clarity for the organization and kind of the roadmap. And then, then I think our mindset was, was big. I mean, we were thinking big. It's, you know, we didn't have any interest in running a, a small little business. Yeah, and right. so we wanted to make sure the, the organization had that clarity about our mission and what we were trying to accomplish and the values and the type of business that we were going to create. And then, and then painting the picture, not only for our associates, but for our suppliers mm -hmm. and for our customers and, and saying, Hey, Here's where we are today, but here's where we're going to go tomorrow. And when you create that clarity for the for the associates in particular, then everyone can kind of rally behind it. And I don't I don't think the organization historically certainly they lacked discipline and execution, they lacked resources and so forth. But I think they really lacked the clarity of the mission, vision, and values that literally, I mean, every meeting we we started off with it. And I think. You know, David did a great job of bringing some of that discipline 
uh, you know, to our business as we're trying to rebuild credibility with customers, rebuild credibility with suppliers. But that discipline of continually revisiting every single day with your associates, that mission, vision, values, I, I think is absolutely critical. And we do that today. Yeah. I mean, we're 20 years into it and we start off every meeting you know, talking through our core values and reminding people the type of business we are, the type of business that, um, you know, that we're going to continue to build. And that's, I think, was fundamental at the, 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 the beginning of this, of this journey to get right. So why does everybody get this wrong? Like every single business has a page of their vision and values and it's written by the marketing department or it's written by the CEO or something. This is not a new thing, but you guys have kind of weaponized it for lack of a better term. And you've continued yeah. to use that as a cadence or a beat of the drum that, that allows you guys to continue mar marching forward. Why don't people get this right in your experience? You guys have seen, you guys have colleagues, you guys have peers yeah. and stuff that probably operating businesses of your size that don't take the same sort of values first, people first approach. Why, why do you think that is? Well, it's hard. And um, as, as Dan and I often say, if, if, if it were easy, anybody could do it. Um, but it, but it's got to be, it's got to be truly authentic uh, and, and genuine. And, and, and when you have a, a genuine love of people first uh, and you're passionate about business, it's a perfect combination. You know, I, I, I do think there's a lot of people that get into business perhaps for the wrong reasons. Um, and, and our business is people, uh, and our job is to inspire them. And if you do that and you do that, well, you're going to build a, you're going to build a fabulously successful organization because you're going to give people worthwhile work. You're going to put them in control of, of, of achieving outcomes, and then you're going to reward them. And, and we, we believe in treating our people very well. We, we pay them competitively, but we try to treat them extraordinarily well. Um, and, and, and that's, that's, what's got to happen. It's, it's gotta be, you gotta truly love people and you have to love seeing them be effective and grow and develop and be successful. And if, if that's kind of how you measure your success, I, I think that's the right recipe. Yeah. And, and I, we talk a lot about discipline to, to discipline, to execute the strategies. So, so many people put together their strategic plan and business plan, and then it goes up on the shelf and becomes kind of that paperweight or what have right. you. Um, and, and we all see that. So I, I think what's different is I, I think we have had the execution um, and the discipline to really continue to go at it every single day. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard, but I think to David's point, it, it is a mentality where you then have to engage the associates and provide them feedback on a daily basis. Okay. And you got to have the systems and the technology to do that. We often say, and our customers who come through, they see it and they believe it because, you know, you, you talk a lot about, you know, what gets measured gets done. Well, okay. That's great. You've measured it and associates are going to go do it. But inherently you have to believe that people show up to work every day and they want to do a good job. Okay, you have to believe that, okay? Because if you believe that, okay, then you're gonna engage them in the right way and then you're gonna provide them feedback every day. Did I have a good day or not? Because, you know, we say often nobody shows up to work and say, hey, I wanna have a really bad day today. I mean, people don't say that. I mean, at least I believe people don't say that, right. but they have to know whether or not they had a good day and they need to know that that we know whether or not they had a good day. And so I think, beyond the clarity of mission, vision, and values, which, you know, to David's credit, I think he did a phenomenal job of laying that out. 
I think we did a really good job of putting the technology in place, even for a small company that allowed us to really track our progress. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I think people don't think about the systems, you know, as early on as they need to, they say, well, once we get bigger, then we're going to put these things in place. But we really put in a, you know, some systems right away that, that could support what we wanted to go accomplish, could support the, the roadmap that we had outlined. And in doing so, it frankly provided us a lot of credibility, Nick, to say, hey, here's the progress that we're making. Mm-hmm. Um, here's where we need to improve. Here's where we're struggling, you know, all those sorts of things. So I, I, I think it was, it was the discipline of our approach coupled with, you know, the technology and others that we could, to, you know, provide that feedback to associates. You know, the thing that I was always struck with with you guys whenever I was, um, you know, on site was it just felt different. You know, um, I'm sure that 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 this is true when your uh, clients or potential customers walk through. It feels different when the guy delivering sandwiches walks. in, He's like, what's going on here? This place feels different. There's a you know, you walk into some places and it feels really cold and you walk into some places and you can see everybody ostensibly sort of trying to find the wall because they feel like they're going to get knifed in the back and you step into your business and you step into your plant and there's a level of uh, authenticity there and there's a level of comfortability there and you see a gleam, you know, gleam in people's eye like they're really trying to, you know, carve out their corner of the world and do that as as well as they can. Um, Like, you know, for lack of a better term, I'm talking about kind of weaponizing culture. We're talking about getting people to feel comfortable and included enough in the mission that they're a part of to expend discretionary effort over and above that which, you know, below which they would get fired, right? That's kind of where all this extra value comes from. But it comes in a really, you know, to your point, it's a, it's maybe a longer way around the mountain. You're not walking around with riding crops. Obviously you need discipline and all, all those other things, but you're, you're getting people to engage a, uh, in a discretionary way. How long did it take until you guys felt like you kind of hit that culture tipping point? Or let me kind of put it a different way. Um, we kind of talk about culture as a bonfire. And so if there's five of us around a bonfire, that doesn't need to be that big. And it doesn't take that much work. Me and you can just be running out and getting sticks and logs for it. If we have 100 people or 200 people around this thing, this must be a much bigger fire. And keeping that going is, becomes everybody's job. So when did you hit that kind of tipping point And what was it like approaching it where the culture changed from you know, you guys kind of speaking it into the into the business and other people kind of taking it up and, you know, for lack of a better term, sort of running out and grabbing sticks alongside you. Uh, there's there's a lot there. Great question. And, you know, I I'd say the tipping point continues to move because we're on this we're on this journey and you're never really there. It's like it's like lean principles, this lean journey. You're, you're always on it. and You're always focused on making best better and trying to continuously improve. But so I, I'd say it's, you know, we, we've studied, you know, you can study John Maxwell and the five levels of leadership and try to, how you, you know, how you try to try to try, try to grow in, in the leadership of the organization and expand that. I, you know, I'd say there's been a couple points throughout our evolution, you know, 2000, 2010 to 2012, you know, after the Great Recession, you know, those, those moments, um, you know, provide opportunities to to be stewards of people through difficult times. This COVID pandemic has proven to be uh, an, an opportunity, a, a bun, you know, with with uh, to to really steward and shepherd people uh, personally and professionally um, through a very difficult time. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say there's one or two points, but 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 certainly um, it's been an evolution and. Um, 
you know, I, I'd, I'd say, um, you know, we've, we've met some remarkable people along the way and you try to learn from these people. Mm -hmm. one, of, one, of the, one of the people who's had a profound influence, I think on our approach to leadership and, and, and business is a guy named Bob Chapman. I got to get him on this. I've, I've been trying to get yeah. him on here, man. I yeah, love, yeah. Everybody Matters is like one of my favorite books from last year. Yeah, he's phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. So, so I met, we met Bob Chapman back in 2007 or eight wow. and uh, we're able to spend some time with him and have gotten to know him. But, but, you know, Bob's philosophy is, is just remarkable and it puts people first. And, you know, he really firmly believes that we've not done a good job in this country, uh, especially in manufacturing, of, of harnessing the gifts and talents right. of the people and the lives that we have the pleasure and privilege of, of stewarding. And so, you know, that that whole approach, and again, you got to live it, and the more you live it, and the more you reinforce it, and then you you build a team of people who are aligned philosophically and it's very much an abundance mentality. It's mm -hmm. not a scarcity mentality. And, and, and so, you know, you, you got to live it. And when you do it just, you know, you get this flywheel effect and, and ultimately it kind of propels itself. Well, and you're never done. I mean, that's this, you're, you're never done. And, and even for our organization, you know, you hit different milestones of 20 million, 50 million, 80 million, a hundred million in, in revenue and, and higher. And, and, you know, you're adding to the leadership team, you're adding to the management team and, and the challenge at all those different milestones. And you, you ask about certain points along the way, there's, there's a point every month, there's a point maybe every week and, and you've got to go back to your core values, which mm -hmm. is why we spend so much time on it. And, and I would say, you know, going back to the brother discussion that, that you mentioned early on, you got to have alignment at the top. Totally. I mean, in, and beyond David and I, our executive team is really strong. Okay. And, and I would say we're really aligned in what we want to accomplish. And if you don't have that, okay, nothing else is going to work. Right. Because you will have all those sidebar sort of misunderstandings or misguided or what have you. And, and, you know, David's absolutely right on in terms of how we're engaging people like Bob Chapman and others have been instrumental in teaching us a lot. But but you can you can read all those books and you can do all those things. But if you don't have alignment at the top of the organization and you're not working together, I mean, I, I would say whether it's ops or our chief commercial officer or others, we can almost finish each other's sentences. Mm -hmm. and, and that's because we're so aligned in terms of what we want to accomplish as an organization. And then that permeates the rest of the organization. And so you've got to get that first team right. So that the rest of the the rest of the organization will follow, and I think that's where folks come up short many times is they don't have that alignment, they don't have that trust, they don't have that rapport, they don't have that respect at the highest level in the organization as you continue to grow. Yeah, and at some level, it might be even like a lack of like articulation of this vision, or like it's totally. not cohesive across these different levels. And again, as a business expands and starts to fractalize out, and you know, I don't know how how many employees do you guys have now. Versus when you got well, it, it's multiples of, of what, when you started, right? Yeah. Close to 400 people. Um, right. Yeah. And right. Can, can plants in Kansas city and Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. you've been able to maintain this thing. You've been able to maintain this ethos of your company or this heart of your company as you've expanded to multiple locations. And as you have multiples and multiples of what you started, that's only like possible if the people have authentically digested this vision and are, are, are authentically living out these values, because there's always going to be this gap, right, between the values on your page and what people are living out. I mean, that's what you referred to, this yeah. sort of pursuit of perfection is noble, irrespective of whether you'll get there, you know? 
Um, but for that to be continually compressed, you need everyone's efforts because it, the system gets increasingly complex. How, as you've grown, have you ensured that you prioritize, uh, you know, this values first thing? You know, you need talent that has the right resume, but you also need a guy who has the right heart or a gal who has the right brain. How do you, uh, how have you McDonaldized that? Uh, how have you McDonaldized that process to help ensure that you don't have too many false positives on new folks being added to the team? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's 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 being very intentional about about hiring the right people based on character first, mm -hmm. and 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 putting talent, skill, creativity, intelligence, and all those things second. Uh, you know, Patrick Lencioni has a great book called The Advantage. Uh, we've studied that at length, and and it talks about you know the essential characteristics of a cohesive leadership team and and those same characteristics apply throughout the organization mm -hmm. so making sure that everyone is really aligned around our core values so our core values um, you know have to have to first guide and 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 direct our decision making um, and and how we act and behave as an organization so our core values are really we, we start every meeting as Dan said reviewing our core values and, and applying them to what's happening in our business and then recognizing and celebrating people who are modeling and, and, and acting and behaving consistently with those. And, and uh, I think that's probably, you know, just being really intentional about keeping those first, uh, first and foremost. You know, <clears throat> I, I, I just, I just find the whole thing so interesting we all as leaders have this opportunity to like grab hold of these values, vision, mission, things like that, communicate those things authentically. And, and yet the sort of percentage of companies that I see that are authentically weaponizing it again, for lack of a better term, is so small. And as we have this generational shift, which I'm sure you're seeing, you have a, a much different mix of generations in your workforce than you did 10, even 15 years ago. I wonder sure. how have these new generations that have been coming in, whether they're millennials or Gen Zs, how have they, or how have you seen them resonate more or less than others in the past with these values and this sort of values first, culture first approach? Yeah, and, and I think Nick, you have to put yourself as a leader in your associate's reality. And I think that that's where sometimes there's a disconnect where, you know, folks step back and say, hey, here's what we want the company to be. Here's what we want to do without an understanding of the associates reality. I mean, everybody, everybody brings different things to, to work every single day. And, and, you know, whether they're struggling at home, they've got a sick kid, they've got, you know, a dog that's not doing well, whatever it might be. If you don't take the time to put yourself in your associate's reality to connect with them in a way and translate your values to them, they're not going to respond in the right way. Right. OK, you're, you're going to get their hands, but you might not get their heart. OK, and if you don't have their hands and their heart, you're not going to get that extra effort from them. And, you know, David says this often, but, you know, for us on our company, we run 24 hours a day, seven days a week here in Kansas City, 24, five and in Columbus, but you know, we're only as good as that operator at 4 a.m. on a Sunday. I mean, we, we can run a lot of bad product really, really quickly. So I, I, I just think, you know, for us, you've got opportunities every single day in the decisions you make as a leader to reinforce, okay, or destroy, mm -hmm. okay, the values and the mission, the vision that you've set. 
And I think the consistency of how you make decisions, and it's not it's not easy because we're faced with so many challenges. Shoot, with with COVID, I mean, we had a whole new set of challenges right. with no playbook. But everybody's looking to you all the time. Okay, what's your attitude? What's your approach? What decisions are you making? And the second you start making decisions inconsistently with respect to your core values, it destroys all the work that you've done. And I think that's where we start every meeting, as David said, because we've got to go back and remind ourselves, hey, there's no shortcuts. There's no easy way out. We've got to make decisions the right way because that's going to create a long term you know, benefit to our organization. Yeah, it's very fragile. Oh, so fragile. Remarkably, yeah. I don't think people realize how fragile businesses are. I mean, it's crazy. It is crazy. I mean, it's just yeah. so fragile. Nick, I would just add to what Dan said. Um, you know, I, I think I, I think authentic, genuine leadership delivered the right way resonates to people of all backgrounds and age differences. And, and so... You know, someone said really well last year, you know, what unites us is so much greater than that which tries to divide us. Yeah. And so our core values, our focus on on people resonates across the board because we one of our core values is we always say please and thank you. And that means treating people first and foremost with the dignity and respect that every every person deserves. And it starts with safety. And when you focus on those guiding principles or core values that are changeless and 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 forever, um, that resonates, and so and it transcends people of, of, of different ages and 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 races and genders. And uh, we're very proud of having a very diverse uh, ethnically and otherwise workforce, and uh, uh, very fortunate that uh, you know. Throughout, up and down, you know, the ladder, so to speak, we have great leaders who reinforce those values and start and end with them, frankly, because that's what matters. Um, you guys, <clears throat> you guys have always kind of struck me as guys with a lot of humility and a lot of authenticity, and that permeates your entire company. As I've said, you know, before, why do you think it's so hard for leaders to be? to really exhibit that level of authenticity or that vulnerability that really is sort of the, the mortar and the wall of bricks that you're building. Yeah, I'm not sure. And, and I'd hesitate to speak for others. I mean, again, I think you gotta, you gotta live it authentically and believe it and love it. Um, two, I, I think you have to see, you have to see, um, you know, if you're in a for-profit business, you have to see, treating people well, consistent with achieving outstanding business results. And, and what we always say is, hey, if there's no margin, there can be no mission. So we're here to serve a mission and that's to enrich people's lives and the products they use with purposeful, powerful packaging. Uh, but if we don't, you know, if, if we don't make money, uh, we can't serve that, that mission. So right. we got to right. achieve our goals and realize our vision only to fulfill our mission. And when you see it as one indivisible whole um, and it all working together, um, then I think people do well. I think, I think when people see profit and people, um, uh, you know, d disparately or not connected, that becomes the problem. And I, I, for us, it's, they're synonymous. You treat your people well and you inspire them to be their very best. They want to give their very best and that's going to translate into results and performance for the business and that when it, when it, when it works it's it's wonderful to see 
very yeah. rewarding. It is, and it's all about who who you surround yourself with. I mean, you you hear you hear that a lot, and I think, you know, as I as I mentioned early on, for David and I, it was easy to be humble to begin with because we didn't know anything about the business. We we I mean, we 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 didn't have any of the answers, you know, Nick. And I and I think the challenge as a leader, you know, now we do have a lot of tenure. We've we've got a lot of experience. We we've, we've learned a ton, and and I think you have to have the the confidence then to step back a little bit and and inspire others and say hey if you lift the people up around you then they'll lift you up right and and i think that for david and i you know looking at the folks around us i mean you know we we used to say folks hey we would just want to surround ourselves with people who are a heck of a lot smarter than we are and right. we'll get out of the way now we need to challenge them but I, I think, you know, I think that for some for some leaders, I think at times they might um, they might be threatened uh, by the folks they hire. Or they may, you know, have control. And I want right. to control this. You, I mean, in a business, as you as you continue to grow, you can only control so much. And over the years, I think a challenge even I had was, OK, I got to let go mm -hmm. and and allow others to really be you know, successful in their own right but allow them to make mistakes. And I think sometimes as a leader, you, you, you don't want people to make mistakes because you're, oh, here's what you got to go do. And I think that's where we've probably learned so much. And, and I've, I've, we've been able to see, and it's been so rewarding to see people within our business, Nick, that have perhaps accomplished more in their life than they ever thought they might. And yeah. they're making more money than they're ever making. And they're had these experiences and so forth. And I think I think as a leader that that creates a sense of um, if you're the right type of leader, a sense of real fulfillment. Totally. And it's really, really rewarding to see these people doing phenomenal things. And then it's like, OK, go and do. And the business is going to be, you know, even better because you've now been given the keys to, to drive. And that's that's been been fun to see. But you have to be in it for the right reason. And yeah, we want to, you know, turn a profit and we've got to turn a profit, right? We've got investors like everybody else, but, but if you approach it the right way, everybody wins. Um, I love that. I mean, there's so much in there. Um, but this thinking of, you know, I can control what I can control. I mean, what I just see a lot with guys is they're so dollar focused that they forget that they're operating this complex system, most of which is outside of their control, most of which are variables that they can't actually control. Right. And they end up sort of you know, excluding certain variables that are are actually the biggest drivers for this output that, you know, is um, kind of an, an, in, an independent variable in this example. Um, but it is really, you know, it's got to be so, uh, so reward, rewarding to your point. I mean, we, we've started to see this a little bit, but, you know, somebody who comes in who doesn't have the confidence and you can say like, no, you can do it. And then they start doing it. And then they're just, you know, they're just a rock star or something like that. You know, sometimes people just need a little bit of a belief a little bit of uh, encouragement and just an opportunity to like put the bat on the ball and you can get great stuff out of folks. And that to me is a lot more exciting than, I mean, obviously again, we're, we're in business for profit, but beyond a certain level, like the opportunities that you're creating for people are where the real excitement is, you know? Yeah, for sure. So um, I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, going back to something uh, you said, Dan, you said that, you know, me and David are very much alike, but we're very different. And I'd love to yeah. talk about how, uh, you guys have been able to avoid becoming a two-headed monster and really, um, you know, create a leverage point from these two, you know, these two voices singing in harmony the same song. 
Yeah, and, and I think part of that, Nick, is being very self-aware as best you can mm -hmm. and and openly communicating and trusting each other. I mean, there were there were times where, you know, on certain issues, it's like, okay, I'm gonna step back and defer and deflect and, and let let David handle that. And and in in return, he'd say, Hey, this is, you know, this situation. And Dan, why don't you take the lead on that? And and that that at the core, I think, is is true trust. And mm -hmm. And, you know, beyond being brothers, I trust his skills. I trust and believe in him. And there's nobody better than him at what what he does. And, you know, he oversells me as a salesperson. I'm a decent salesperson, but, you know, he's he's my probably my biggest cheerleader. And I, when you have that, whether you're brothers or when you, whether you're an executive team, when you've got everybody cheering for everybody else, mm -hmm. then then it's OK. OK, it's OK to to you know chime in and say hey here's my thoughts here's my ideas here's but but when you leave that meeting are you all aligned in terms of what you're going to go do and i think that's where we were really really fortunate even early on as we're building the leadership team it's you know we'd all weigh in you know and you've heard this but you, everybody needs to weigh in and then ultimately buy into the decision that you make and um you've got to have a diverse team um, like we said, but, but at the root, okay. At the root, the core values and what you want to accomplish has to be perfectly aligned. Right. And then you've got to have the skill sets around that, that are really diverse, that can complement each other, um, and be willing to look in the mirror and say, you know what, you're right. I can do better. And you've got to be able to challenge and have those difficult discussions. And I think we have a culture, especially now at the highest levels where we can challenge each other. And, and, and I think that's, that's, that's been critical to our, to our success. Yeah, and no one's gonna be able to challenge you or David if they don't feel safe in their position and they don't feel like they're actually right. included in this thing. You know, yep. um, when somebody new comes onto your team, you know, let me let let me back up. I think a values forward company um, always has an advantage because at our core, we're all wired to serve, I think. I think we're all wired for work and we all wanna believe you know, that, that we're part of a purpose that's bigger than us. I think many times in our professional lives, we get kind of jaded, we get chewed up and spit out by a business, or you put your heart into something and you don't get anything back for it, or, you know, something like that, that causes us to have baggage as we move from new opportunities. How have you helped new people coming onto your team, whether they're on the floor or they're on the, the executive team, kind of accelerate toward actually believing what you're talking about? Have you figured out any hacks for that? Or is it just kind of a matter of time and steeping in the business or something? Yeah, um, you know, I, I think for us, we 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 obviously have a uh, an orientation process, but it but it starts immediately with with helping people understand why we do what we do. What's the meaning in 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 the significance in what we're doing? And you know, as was evident throughout the pandemic, obviously we were an essential business and a critical you know, vital piece of the supply chain. And, and irrespective of that, we, we try to first help people understand by getting to know the customers and the markets we serve mm -hmm. and, you know, the, the true purpose and functionality and utility of the packaging that we're delivering. Here's, here's how we make a difference in the world. And if you start with why and you help people understand that, um, then it's okay. How do you, how do you best apply your, your skills and abilities to contribute value. Everyone wants to contribute, um, and and so so that's that's really important. And, and around that, it's it's being really setting clear expectations, and then making sure as leaders we give really really good feedback 
at, at frequent intervals. I mean, that's, that's people need to know and understand what's expected of them and then how they're doing versus that expectation. And, um, you know, to, to, to the question you asked previously, you know, with Dan and I, even it's, it's this recognition of, of what are, what are our respective strengths and abilities and, and where, where can those, those be applied? And, you know, we, we talk about, you know, as leaders, we got to make sure that people are, are, are being given opportunities to, you know, their best gifts and talents is, you know, in the right ways. Um, and that starts with us and then, you know, cascades down through the organization. But if we start with that, you know, that purpose and the meaning and what we're doing as an organization and then how do they, how do they play a role? And I'll just one more quick thing, you yeah. know, our, we say, Hey, our mantra, our goal is, everybody's got to always deliver a quality product on time. Nick Saban's deal, I think, is when you play. Mm-hmm. Ours is you got to always deliver a quality product on time. Well, whether you're a, a press operator or you're in finance or you're in sales or you're part of this, everybody's got to deliver a quality product right. on time. It means something a little different for everybody in their role. But if people understand that, what's required, and then given the tools and the training to go do it, and then given feedback, that's I think that's the right recipe. Yeah, and keep it as simple as possible, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I think that's as simple as possible because people get lost in the details otherwise. So yeah, and you know, I love the universal applicability of that of that mantra. To your point, it can be anybody, anybody in the business. So, um, if you could, you know, one one more thing on this culture thing, I'm just shocked at how few leaders are able to sort of take advantage of this potential sustainable competitive advantage, which is a culture. Like someone who stood up a business right next to yours uh, doing flexible packaging that had all the same investments and all the same presses and even could find 400 people, the odds of them achieving what you guys have achieved is probably nil unless they're able to create an authentic culture similar to what you have. So that's there for literally all of us, whether you're running a whole company or you're running a team or running a department. I just don't understand why people don't understand why, why folks who are in these leadership positions don't take advantage of this opportunity they have where they have folks who are trying to put their work, their heart into to their work. It's right there for them if they just pick it up. Yeah, it's easy. You can't measure it. Ah. In business, we want to measure everything and we want to use data and, yeah. and you can measure productivity and output and monitor processes, but um, it's, it's very difficult to quantify and measure the impact that authentic, genuine leadership and a very strong culture, we call it organizational health, what that can deliver. And the, the reality is if you don't have that, none of these other things happen to the extent right. exactly. And it shows up in the numbers, but it shows up in all the numbers. It shows up in everything from sales to profitability to retention to whatever it might be. And, and that's, I mean, I think for a long time, even as young leaders, we, we were trying to find what's that secret sauce? What What is it? Like, how, how do we measure kind of the impact of what we're doing? And and I, I, David's right on. We talk about a lot. You can't measure it, which makes it harder. Um, and we've had I mean, it's it's funny, Nick. I mean, we we've had competitors who literally tried to adopt some of the same exact mantras and information that we have on our websites or what have you, because I do think they've seen that we've created something different. But it doesn't work. You, you can two people can run the exact same play, but if they're not executing it the same way, you have the consistency, the mindset to execute. You're going to get completely different results. Right. Wearing and, yoga pants doesn't make you in shape. Living a no. healthy lifestyle makes you in shape. You know what I'm saying? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's the only other thing that I would add to that, Nick, is that is that you know the 
first of all, it can't, it, you know, it's hard to quantify mm -hmm. the value that that great culture and organizational health contributes to the performance of a business. And you've been in the private equity world. I mean, everyone wants to, it's all about attribution analysis. Totally. We want right. to attribute what's the value creation from this? Yeah. What's the cost savings from that? And the synergies, it's yeah. It's really tough to do. So people overlook it. The other thing that I don't think people realize is that, is that 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 gain or that benefit is not a one-time correct benefit. It 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 exponentially increases over time, um, and and the things that that you're talking about and you're doing in your business, we've tried to do in our leadership approach. You know that creates sustainability of of culture and and strength and you know long-term success. Anybody can come into a business and you've done it and others have done, you can come into a business and you can financially engineer a turnaround. I mean, right. it's, it, yep. it happens every day. The question is how long can that be sustained? Right. And, and I think only when you have this sort of a, you know, a, a system in place that, that truly values people and rewards them for their contributions, does it last? Right. We're going to, we're going to add something, Dan. I don't know. I mean, David and I, I think, could finish each other's sentences. So I, I was going to echo much of the the same same piece there, Nick. But it's it's it is a um, it's it's a joy and it's it's a real pleasure leading a company. But it is a huge responsibility, and I, I just don't know at times that people take it seriously. They they look at the financials every week, but are they out on the production floor? Are they putting their arm around somebody and getting into the reality and and knowing what people show up with, people show up with baggage every single day, as totally. I said. And I, I, I think, I think you know, I mean, it's it's harder now. I'm you know traveling more and so forth, but you know, knowing everyone's name out on the floor and connecting with them in a personal way, again, it's all those little things that you you can't measure going out and talking to Starla and saying, Starla, tell me about your day, tell me about your son, you know, how school goes. You can't measure that right. stuff. But don't think for a second, Starla is not going to pay a little closer attention and she's not going to care a little bit more because you've connected with her in a personal way. And, and so, you know, you can you can create a framework for some of that, but your heart has to be in it as a leader. You've got to really care to go do that stuff, because when you do, man, that is it's like a domino effect. Totally. It's, it's a it's a logarithmic sort of you know deal. And, and those are the little things that I think. I think we got a lot of those little things right. And when you get a lot of the little things right, then all of a sudden it it turns into much, much bigger things. Yeah, they all start stacking. They all start stacking they uh, on each other. And they multiply. Yeah, I remember this one time we were walking through the plant and, uh, you know, David was walking through the plant and maybe we were with some like bankers or something. I can't remember. But as you guys do, you guys were talking to two guys and saying yeah. their first name and nobody had their name tag on. You know what I'm saying? Uh, right. you, you actually knew their name. And after, you know, afterward, I think the banker was like, do you think he really knows all those guys? And I was just like, you can't tell that that wasn't an authentic conversation. You know what right. I'm saying? Like right. it was not stilted. It was not fake or, or, you know, synthetic. It was, yeah. it, it was that heart piece. And to your point about, you know, asking about, you know, asking Starla about her day, if that's fake and if that's stilted, Starla will know. And if you actually care, she can feel those kinds of things. And just one more thing on this. I know we're getting to the end here. I have one, one last question, but this attribution analysis thing is so bizarre to me. If you're on a diet and you're trying to lose 20 pounds and you've lost 20 pounds, you're not looking back and on your uh, food and say, oh, okay, that pound was from that salad I ate. 
and this pound right. was from that that extra lap, you know, the extra time I took the yeah. stairs. That's an insane way. And yet that's how we look at business for all these intangible things and all these indirect things that lead to the health of, you know, that organizational health that allows our purpose to perpetuate and allows our culture to sustain itself. It like, it like evaporates out of people's minds as they step in and start looking at the things on the spreadsheet. It's just absolutely bizarre. So right right at the end here, what, uh, what advice would you, you know, you step in a time machine, you go back and see Dan and David 20 years ago about to take this plunge what advice would you give the younger versions of uh, yourself and or each other? Well, I would, I would encourage everyone to pursue their dreams, be intellectually curious, be a, be a lifelong learner and, and have the humility to know every day you gotta, you gotta learn something new, be willing to listen to people and, and just, you know, work hard and be persistent. It does pay off. Yeah. And, and mine, mine might be the same, but, but I think the, I think what served us so well, but, but, you know, something we could continue to focus on is, is think really big, think really big. And, and, you know, we often say as a leader that, you know, you bring the weather to off to the office every single day. And, and there were times where we were really struggling. And, and um, if you walk in the office and, and you're not positive, that impacts everybody in the office. And so, uh, you know, Dave and I were great, coaches of each other's and mentors of each other's in many ways. But I, I, you know, look back and, and, um, I would just say, Hey, we did a lot of really good things, but keeping that mindset of surrounding yourself with really good people and keeping that mindset of thinking really big is, is, is absolutely critical because you can get sucked into the microcosm of that day versus separating out and, and stepping back and, and being able to work, you know, on the business rather than working in the business. Um, but it's, it's, it's been, it's been one heck of a fun, fun journey, Nick. And so thrilled for you and your brother and your journey. You're a few years into it, but have, have no doubt you guys will continue to be wildly successful as well. Well, there are Staker brother fingerprints all over our business. And I've taken so much of what, what you guys have done. And, uh, you know, we're seeing the same thing. You know, we say culture is the only sustainable competitive advantage in business. And if you can make people feel included and make, make them feel part of something that's bigger than themselves, you can really change the world and you can have a really big impact on your community and the lives of the folks that, that you're climbing whatever mountain you're climbing with. So, um, listen, I love your work. I love, I love you guys and everything you've built. Thank you for joining us today. Um, uh, please tell us how people can find you, how they can find your company, uh, and how they can learn more. And also, when is your when is you guys' book coming out, please? Yeah. <laughs> no, no book being drafted as of yet. Uh, plaspack.com, P-L-A-S-P-A-C-K.com is probably the best way to reach us. And congrats to you uh, and your brother, Nick. Uh, we're, we're proud of you. Thank and you. Flat, flattered that you'd uh, be able to take a thing or two from us. So Absolutely, thanks. man. Absolutely. Well, until yeah, next time. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much, Nick. Absolutely. Take care.